0: Does God love me? Does God have purpose for me? Does God love me? Does God have purpose for me? That's what we're looking to answer. And we're taking this from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. So here we have it on the screen. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. For God saved us, called us to live a holy life. He did this, not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan from before the beginning of time. To show us His grace through Christ Jesus. So that's why we've been saying that we're created by design, and from this verse we are saved We are called and we are graced. We are saved, we are called, we are graced. So that's that's where we're lifting this truth, trying to learn a little bit more about truth, a little bit more about who God is, who we are in Him, connecting with Him, growing in our faith. And then from there, we have this mission, right? We have purpose in our life, to share His love. Now, we have looked at Psalm 139. From Psalm 139, we pulled this truth. God designed you, right? Before you were born, God designed you. God knows you. God thinks about you. God loves you. I know this is truth that might be hard to wrestle with. It might be hard to absorb. It might be Um, it might seem incomprehensible to you. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel insecurity for different reasons. You're not happy with your life. You're not happy with yourself. And so because you look at yourself in such a way as to feel, I am unlovely, it may be difficult to wrap your mind around the truth that God loves you. But it is true. And that's why you know, the comment that I made is we could every Sunday turn to Psalm 139 and pull from it a new truth every week and deepen our understanding that God truly loves us. And what what you have to do is to let go of the things that you don't like and absorb the truth that God loves you. God created you, He designed you, He knows you, He thinks about you, And he loves you. And so we went back to Genesis chapter 1, to the Adam and Eve uh, creation story. And from that, in chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, you see the truth that we pulled that's on the screen. And that is that God, we were created in the image of God. We derive from God our identity. It's it's who we are. So even if we get drawn into focusing on things that we don't like or that we have questions about, the truth is that we are created in the image of God. That there is something of an identity, there's something of God. And really, in truth, when you become enamored with somebody else, whether it be affection or it be uh, respect, there is some element of the image of God that you are recognizing. And you're seeing something beautiful, something praiseworthy. You're, you're seeing something of the image of God in them. So we have, we, we derive identity, our sense of personal identity from the fact that we're created by Him. And what we see very clearly there in Genesis 1 is that we're created for relationship. What does God do? He, He creates them. He says it's not good for them to be alone. And he comes down and he walks with them and he talks with them and he listens to them. And not only that, but before sin enters the equation, before they make their classic mistake and do the one thing that he asks them not to do, even before that, he gives them purpose. He gives them function. He says, be fruitful and multiply and discover all these living things and, you know, name them and govern them and, and he gives them responsibility. And what I really believe is that everybody in this room has purpose. You have purpose in your life. And I would further just kind of suggest that you have purpose in your life that you've not yet discovered. And that some of it is profoundly simple. It's not complicated. It's not about a title. It's not about where you draw your income from. It's not about how other people view you. It's simple, and it comes from God. You have purpose. And so the simple words that Jesus spoke, in particular, close to his death, burial, and then after, Uh, before his resurrection, after his death and burial, the simple words, he gave us mission. And he gave mission that is for each of us and that we should be thinking about, we should be deriving our purpose from. And that would include the very simple, love God and love people, right? When Jesus was asked, hey, what's the most important stuff in scripture? In Matthew 22, 37 to 40, love God with all you've got And love other people in the same way that you take care of yourself. And so there is a sense of calling. There should be a sense of purpose in everything. Do you know that even the fact that I go to sleep. I go to sleep not only for myself, but so that I can love my wife and love my kids. And love my neighbors in the same way I take care of myself. Because if I can't sleep, I can't do that. Does that make sense? Exercise, what you choose to eat, everything about how you manage your life really should be coming from a sense of identity and a sense of purpose. And that identity and purpose should include loving God with all you've got and loving others. And I I propose to you that if anything is getting in the way of that, cut it out. That was simple and profound. Let me say that again. Love God, love people. If anything is getting in the way of that, cut it out. Just because the Netflix timer pops up, another one's starting in six, five, four. Go to bed. If what we are giving God is the worst of our energy, something's upside down. If anything, if your own insecurity, if your anxiety, if if anything is getting in the way of your ability to love God, and by love God, let, let's just pause for a moment. I'm not talking about you trying to be a better person or do what is right. I'm talking about you enjoying God like I enjoy chocolate cake with chocolate chips. It's my favorite. Enjoying God, receiving His love is a part of what you were created for. I propose that if we don't know how to sit, be still, know that He is God, resonate with the truth, of his love for us all of life will be more difficult to love God is yes it does include doing good things yes it does include reading about him to so that it reading about him helps us to worship in spirit and in truth yes it does include praying yes it does include coming to church a small group different yes it does include those things but that is not the sum total It also includes enjoying Him. When was the last time you paused long enough to consider how good God is, how faithful His love is, just so a smile could creep across your face so that you can enjoy Him? Enjoying God is a part of our purpose in life. It's a part of what loving God and loving people really means. So, as we take this next step, I'd like to really to wrap up this series and recording this because I know some some people couldn't be here today to really last week we kind of dealt with some big ideas and it was kind of a cliffhanger with what do I do with this? And so now I'd like to lead you with some questions to help you understand what to do with it. Are you okay about that? Yes. So... A part of what we're talking about is an understanding of your calling. And as I've said before, I'd rather this be over several cups of coffee, several hours with you personally, face-to-face, where you can have a chance to ask a lot of questions and get down to the detail of how this really applies to your individual life. And I know that just talking about it as a Sunday is is probably going to create more questions, maybe even possibly some frustration But I feel it's really important to deal with this subject and at least start the or or restart, maybe, the conversation, the dialogue, the questions within you so that you can get a firmer grip on who you are. I think that whether it be a secret sin, an addiction, or a struggle with anxiety or a spirit of fear, or stress... Sometimes the way forward, the way to a better, more peaceful life is not being totally absorbed with that issue. Sometimes what we need is wind in our sails because we have a picture of what God wants for us. Because we are excited that life can be better, that life can be good, that there is purpose for our lives, that there is something yet in front of us that God wants. For us, a picture of what is good that is in front of you can help with all of those other issues. Does that make sense? Okay. So, I'm going to ask you some questions and try to help walk through how you can understand a little bit better who you are and what God's calling is for your life. So, we definitely have to ask who am I following? Right At any moment of any day, you should be able to ask yourself a real simple question, am I following Jesus? And you you should know, there should be a real simple, in this moment, right here, right now, am I following Jesus? I I think that um, what might be better than the WWJD bracelets is WWIJD. What is Jesus doing? I think WWJD might be a little bit too intimidating, it might, might... lead us to religion, trying to pretend we are something that it's not. What's a little bit better is, in this situation, in this environment, in my home, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, stop, time out. Ask, what is Jesus doing now? And don't move on until you figure it out. And so, we need to ask ourselves, who am I following because a lot of times when we land ourselves in certain jobs or in certain lifestyles in certain patterns of behavior, which which we are, humans are, are, are smart as individuals and dumb as a group. Because we fall into habits and we fall into um, lifestyles and patterns of thinking and patterns of emotions that are not really examined, that are not really true, that are not even a full representation of what we actually think and believe. And a part of that is our behavior and how we live our life. And so at times we can find ourselves living our life in certain ways where we're not actually following Jesus. And so that's a pretty simple thing to deal with, but then from there we need to consider, who is he? Who is this Jesus? What is he like? And so maybe before going any further with pen and paper and conversations with others and trying to derive what your calling is, Maybe you need to spend a few weeks, a few months of your life just learning more about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And so especially in in leading up to um, Easter, I have a few new books over on the book table that please uh, feel free to take and or or if you want to give away to somebody else. But one of my favorites is The Jesus I Never Knew. The Jesus I Never Knew. It's right over there. Feel free to grab it. Great book. I also have over there The Case for Christ and um, a small book about the stuff we celebrate on Easter is death, burial and resurrection that would really help you talk with somebody that is um, not a believer and somebody that's really focused on um a scientific approach to maybe disproving God. There's great great books over there for that. But I need to get closer to who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? What is he like? What is he the second question that you see on the screen, what is he up to? See, I think we might be more excited about being in church in small group. We might be more excited about living in the neighborhood that we're living in or going to the workplace that we go to if we start to get a picture of what Jesus is actually up to. And maybe sometimes we get tired, we get burnt out, I think because we're trying to do things that he hasn't asked us to do and that are not connected with things that he is doing. We might have more wind in our sails, more excitement if we are actually recognize what it is that he is doing and then joining in in his effort instead of asking him to join in our effort. Does that make sense? So what is he up to? And then we should ask ourselves the third question on the screen, what has God given me to do? So whether it be um, murder in Baltimore, what has God given you to do with that issue? See, if the way that you interact with that issue just produces a negative fruit in your life, then you're not interacting with that issue in the right way. Now, I believe that murder should not happen, and I believe, in fact, from Scripture that when murder happens, the, the blood of those that are murdered cries out from the ground to God, and God is grieved, and it's a justice issue, and, it, and it's, a, it's a deep issue, and it's an issue that, that should grieve us, that we should carry care about, but not an issue that should overwhelm us. And at some point, you should ask yourself, what has God given me to do? Well, of course, God has given all of us to pray. And then from there, what do we do as a church? Well, the day before Mother's Day and on Thanksgiving week, we directly give to mothers of murder victims in Baltimore. So when you see the news, you can pray, and you can know we're doing something to help address this issue. There's a lot more to be said because there's a lot more that we're doing with that particular issue. My point is, it's really healthy... To stop and say, what has God given me to do? Now, on one side, you might realize, oh, I'm doing what God has given me to do with that issue, and then it makes it easier for you to let go of the rest and not be weighed down with anxiety and lose momentum in your life. On another side, it might you might very quickly recognize, bing, oh, yeah, that's right, there's one thing that God has given me to do with that issue, and I can take action on that, and it's actually pretty simple. Does that make sense? So there's some great three simple introductory questions. Now let's go to some next level questions. These next three that you see on the screen are some next level questions, especially after a time of prayer and fasting, especially after a time of just seeking God for who God is and whatever it is that he wants to say to you and, and not trying to hold up your agenda before God, but just opening yourself up to God and whatever it is that he has for your life, then you should probably pause and ask yourself these three questions that are on the screen. And maybe you're a little bit better than me, smarter than me, whatever, but I need to write it down, right? What am I good at? That's the first question on the screen there. What am I good at? Now, that, it might be a struggle, right? And so you may need to get some friends involved or rebecca and i or somebody else you might you might need to get somebody else involved to help you recognize what is it what am i good at well i'll tell you one thing that i'm good at personally i'm good at getting excited about things that other people are excited about now when i was younger i allowed other people to put me down for that oh you're you're emotional you're all over the place, you're just constantly excited, you exhaust me, you know, like, whatever, right? So, I'm like, I could get bummed out about my excitability. Or, right, I could, I could allow it to cause me to be an unstable person, right? I'm just, like, all over the place, excited about everything, can't get anything done, right? This is too much honesty, too much... It's not all about me, it's all about Jesus, but I'm just trying to give you an example, right? Now, that's something that I'm good at. I learned, as I, grew, as I grew up, I learned how to use that skill, which is very genuine on my part. I'm, I'm an emotional person, and I don't have a problem saying it, right? I, I get enthused about a lot of different stuff. I don't have a problem saying that. Now, I've learned how to get it more in control in my life, right? So that I can live by the priorities that, that God has given me. But I also have learned how to use it. Now, the various times that I've worked for... A wide variety of employers, whether I was digging ditches, selling used tires, selling carpet, working in the corporate world, I used that to discern the employer that I was working for, what was his motive, what was the thing that was most important to him, and then get excited about that, and it made me a better employee. I think sometimes everybody wants to be president, but nobody wants to do president, Right? A lot of people want to be in charge, but if we take a canoeing reference if you will, you got to learn how to row the boat before you can be the the helmsman at the end like the rowing crew, you see in the Olympics, that crazy. I don't know how why that's an Olympic sport, but there's a person that barks orders. Like we all want to bark orders, but we don't want to row. But the truth is in God's kingdom, you're never going to be the one barking orders if you don't know how to row. You can't be a good leader unless you're a good follower. So what is it that you're good at? We're all good at something. You feel the favor of God. People point it out to you. And it can't, what, by trying to unpack it in this way, what I'm trying to do is to point out to you that it might be something that you feel is a negative in your personality. Right? But it's actually a positive. Am I making any sense? I'm good at gossip. Okay, time out. Gossip is a sin. You're good at telling stories and you're interested in people. Well, that can be good. Right? You just got to be careful with it. Right? What are you good at? What are you good at? And then what are you passionate about? What is it in life? And, you know, clearly I'm... Passionate about eating? Well, God has used that for good, right? What What is it that you're passionate about? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Now, here's the third question. This is really important. And this third question of these three is what helps us avoid living a me-centered life, a selfish, immature, living like a two-year-old your whole life, right? Which is not attractive when you're 40 to be a self-absorbed two-year-old on the inside, right? What is it that's going to keep these questions from leading you to live a selfish life where that is really just leading to sin, right? It's this third question. How does this line up with God's redemptive plan, right? So, for example, Justin and Becky are good at farming and they're passionate about it. Now they live in the city and that might puzzle you, but they're involved with the Whitelock farm, leading the Whitelock farm. They're good at, they they do not kill vegetation. They cause vegetation to flourish, right? So they're good at it. They're passionate about it. They're not getting paid to do it, right? Right? It's not full-time job. It's not a title per se, or at least it wasn't in the beginning, how does this line up with God's redemptive plan? Well, first of all, God created the earth. God created the soil. God created vegetation. And in fact, one of the things that he gave humans to do is to work the earth and to produce vegetables. And the truth of the matter is is that when you eat vegetables, it's good for your body. None of us who came to church just to hear me say things you don't want to hear. Veget- eating vegetables is good for your body, Right? Now, what have they done? They have been involved with a team of people in their neighborhood that have taken vacant lots in what has been one of the worst neighborhoods in all of America for murder and for heroin, and they're taking vacant lots and turning them into farms that are producing vegetables that are serving a neighborhood that is a what's called a food desert where there are not grocery stores. Why? Because the grocery stores are being, they were being robbed so often, they were being held up so often that the insurance premiums for the grocery stores kept going up and up and up, and that's why some of the grocery stores have moved out of Baltimore City and out of that neighborhood. They are, don't you think that that line's up with God's redemptive plan. God's into the vegetables. So here's something that they're good at, that they're passionate about, that lines up with God's redemptive plan. Does that make sense? So don't you think that might mean that that's a part of their calling? That's a part of what they're called to do. You need to ask yourself, and this takes time, it takes effort. And sometimes it takes collaboration with a few people to help you. What am I good at? What am I passionate about? How does that line up with God's redemptive plan? It takes some thought. But what's amazing is that when you put thought into it, you get more excited to to breathe. You get more excited to sleep. You get more excited to do everything you need to do in your life because then what you start to do is you start to live on purpose. And instead of living on a selfish purpose, which will always leave you frustrated and broken, instead you will be living on God's purpose and it will be more fulfilling, it will be more exciting, and you won't burn out. Doesn't that sound good? But sometimes, even with the, even, sometimes we're already lined up with the right career. Sometimes we're already lined up in the right neighborhood and with the right family, whatever, but we haven't taken time to process how is what I'm doing connected with God's purpose in the earth. And sadly, what the American church has done so poorly is to make doing what I'm doing right now the one good thing. That is wrong! Backwards, upside down thinking. There is inherent value. Building the kingdom of God, amazing, eternal value in whatever it is God has called you to do. And I had two great-grandfathers that were preacher. My grandfather is still a preacher. My father is a preacher, right? That's a lot of preachers, right? But one thing that they said to me, and, and my grandfather in his Norwegian accent, Ja, Benjamin, know your calling. Don't go above it. Don't go beneath it. So if you're called to be a plumber, you be the best plumber you can be. They never, ever communicated to me that the pastoral ministry was better than any other job. There is inherent value in work and God's redemptive plan is even in some of the toughest workplaces. Would I say that those who dug the underground railroad for the sake of rescuing slaves were not doing God's work by digging? No, come on. God's redemptive work. Couple more questions. What can I do with what God has put in my hand? The statement that you have there, use what's in your hand to fulfill what's in your heart. If you weren't here last week, I spent some time walking through this idea. From Exodus 4, God speaks to Moses. Moses has done shepherding, right? Dealing with livestock, and he's got this big walking stick, right? He's got this big walking stick, a stick that he would use to move animals, to do his work. And God has called him, right? God has called him out of isolation, out of a time where he was living a private life, working with animals mostly. God has called him to come to be the, 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 the mouthpiece to, for God's miracle to deliver his people out of slavery to Egypt. And God, he's, he's, Moses is talking about his insecurity and how, why he can't do what God has asked him to do. And God is, and He's saying, how is this going to work? They're never going to listen to me. I'm not a good talker. And in Exodus chapter four, God says, what's in your hand? Yeah, God knows the answers to the questions He asks us. God said, what's in your hand? It's, it's a stick, God. And then God proceeded to tell him how He was going to use that stick, a tool that He had used in His former work, to be a tool for miracles to deliver the people of God. What's in your hand is what you are doing now. It's mundane. It involves the expectations of other people, whether or not you deliver on a deadline, other people's expectations of you, pressure, work, labor, sweat, maybe something that you're not enjoying at all, right? It's, but it's what you're doing now. And what we often will do is miss the miracle that God wants to do in our life because we can't see the miracle for what it is. What's in our heart is this romantic dream of who we think we are, who we want to be. Some God-touched, God-inspired vision to do good, to, to accomplish great things, to see change, to be able to ask this question, what can God do? How can God bring change in these neighborhoods with vacant houses? And and what what miracles, what could God do? What's in our heart represents those long-term, those dreams, those things. And what we can do is always live on focused on that and ignore what's in our hand and not get anywhere towards our dream and have false starts. Things go wrong because we're trying to make it happen. And at this, in the meantime, in the meantime, the people that are around us that are not yet believers that are watching us See us not valuing what God has put in our hand. See us unhappy. And see us not seeing them. Use what's in your hand to fulfill what's in your heart. That's how God operates. That's how God operates. He's given you a skill set He's put you in the home, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, where He's put you. With purpose. He created you with design. He loves you. There is a calling. You are saved. You are called. You are graced. So I hope this helps you understand the quote that we read last week. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And just how amazing is it the way that Justin and Becky working on the farm, the way that that works. Right? And it, so it is for us. So it is for us. That's why from this verse we get according to his purpose and according to his grace. This grace word is when God has been kind to us. This grace word is when God gives us good that we don't deserve. This fact that you've been saved, this fact that you are called, this is out of God's goodness to you. It's not for your detriment. It's responding to the call of God. It's not so that you will hate your life. Oh, I'm not going to be able to have fun anymore. No, come on. God created fun. God has saved you. He has called you. He has graced you according to His purpose, according to His grace in Jesus from before the beginning of time. That's what this verse says. And what it means when He says He has graced us is He has given us a divine ability, an ability beyond your own ability. God has given us a divine ability to accomplish it. Let's wrap up with some real practical. So, what what should we do about this? Well, first, ask questions. Write them down. Get them out of your system. What are your questions? What is it that you're wondering? What is it that you don't understand? Ask questions. And then think. Think about those questions. Process. God gave us a brain for a reason. God wants us to use our mind. He does want you to think and consider. Ask questions. Think. Write it down. Write it down. Third, pray. Right? God always wants us to ask for help. God always wants us to ask for help. God always wants us to engage Him God always wants us to be talking to Him, and you may be looking at something that is overwhelming, that is negative. Hey, call it what it is. When I'm angry about the murder problem, when I feel the damage, the grief, I am, that's a part of my worship. Don't you think that God feels the same way? It is a part of me lining myself up with God and saying, God, I agree with you, this should not be this way. Whatever it is that I'm feeling anxiety and stress about, state it. Get it out there. Don't, being a Christian is not about ignoring it, living in denial, sweeping stuff under the rug. No. Get it out, state it. If you're agreeing, if you are stating that something is not the way that it should be, that's good. That's a part of your worship. Ask questions, think, write it down, pray. Get help. Ask for help. Get somebody trustworthy, somebody further down the journey than you are, involved, engaged with what it is that you're going through. Get help when it comes to deriving your calling, understanding what it is that you're called to, and then take steps. No matter how simple the step is, take a step, one at a time. Don't try to do 20 things at a time, one at a time. Take one step at a time. As we close, I just want to remind you the verses that we've looked at before. Listen, you are not alone in this. God loves you. He cares about you. He would not give you a calling to frustrate you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Jesus read and prayed through the Psalm 119, all about the power of the Scripture. His Word is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. I can... What did Paul write? Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't try to do it, don't try to do it on your own. And from Hebrews 12, answering the question, you know, how shall we overcome? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If your focus becomes you, you will always frustrate you. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Let's stand and we'll close with these Faith statements. I want you to get into your system these two really simple faith statements. I believe God saved me because He loves me. Will you say that with me? I believe God saved me because He loves me. I believe God created me with design. Let's say that. I believe God created me with design. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank You so very much that You're here today. You're here in this place. That You love us. That You did create us with design. That You did put us in this life not to frustrate us. Not to burn us out. Not to have us live full of anxiety, fear, stress, or confused or unable to discern what you want us to do, or living a life that we think doesn't have purpose. thats not your design for us. I thank you that you love us enough that you designed us before we were even born. You had purpose for us, an identity for us. I thank you, God, that even when we struggle, that even when we don't understand, that you're with us, that you're with us, that at any moment we can turn and receive forgiveness and receive your love, that at any moment we can turn and follow you and Know that you are celebrating each step. I thank you for that today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.